And so Amen. Thank you, choir. By the end of the sermon, you will know why that was just the perfect song for me to hear as we dig it into our scriptures this morning. Well, good morning. Uh, good news, bad news for you. The good news is I sure am glad to be back with you. The bad news is you've got to listen to me preach again instead of Kelvin, who's, you know, he's better than me. So, but in all fairness, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the time uh, to be able to go back to America and spend with our family. Uh, it was a good time. I'll share a little bit more with you as the service goes on. But I'd like you to open your Bibles today to Philippians chapter 4. I know before I left a month ago, I said we were done with Philippians. But as God worked in the ways he chose to work over the past four weeks, we need to go back to Philippians and finish it off. So if you'd open your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to stand one more time. I like that when we read God's word, we stand. There's, I, just, I like us concentrating and fixing on that together. So Follow along as I read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we dig into your word this morning and as I just share a little of what you've been teaching my family in these past weeks, I ask that the words that come out would be yours, that they would draw us to a place of worship and glory of you, not of ourselves. Uh, open our hearts and our ears that we may be people of your good news, and that we may make disciples of all nations. We love you, Lord. Be glorified as we grow together. Amen. You may be seated. Forgot about that. I'm out of practice. Not too much. So there's this thing about life that Christians sometimes aren't very good at admitting. Maybe we're getting better at it, uh, but in my desire to be honest and authentic with you, uh, I, I want to let you know that following Jesus can be a messy thing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> there are those of you, once you realize that, you understand that. Uh, life is messy. That starts with the reality that you and I are in it and we are sinners in need of saving from a holy God. And in Christ, we have that redemption. 
but we also live in a messy, fallen world. Things can go wrong in all sorts of ways. Troubles can come from every direction. Comfort can come that makes us complacent, and that can cause messes. There are messes everywhere. And so I want to start today by telling you a story of two people. Uh, and the theme, we're going to continue on with what Pastor Kelvin did for the past few weeks, experiencing God's presence. But today we're going to look at something Paul learned. How do we experience God's presence in the midst of difficult times? Because if we are honest with ourselves, and as you'll see as we proceed today, I'm in the midst of a difficult time, my family and I, and life is messy, and as we progress, how do we experience God in those moments of struggle, whatever those struggles may be? Uh, And I wanted to show you a picture because life indeed is messy at times. And sometimes this is what life feels like. So let me walk you through this picture. First, this is vacation Bible school at my dad's church. Second, the kid on the left is Isaiah, my son. Third, the person getting pied by my son is my sister who is also the children's coordinator of Dover Alliance Church. The guy on the right of that picture is the lead pastor of Dover Alliance Church. Those two people getting pied. First, let me tell you about the pies. There's a reason they're getting pied. For every 25, uh, or for every amount of money they raised to send Bibles to children in Thailand. So that was what they were raising money for at Vacation Bible School. For every 25 they got to send... um, One or two pies, I don't remember how it was. They raised enough to send over 300 Bibles to Thailand. And that is awesome. And we were so excited for that. 75 kids raised that much money. We praise the Lord for that. But for every certain number they raised, that included a pie in the face of the children's coordinator and lead pastor, which I fully supported because it was my sister. But in that, I got to see two people on stage whose lives have been messy. You see the new lead pastor of Dover Alliance Church. Some of you know my dad has been the pastor of that church for 16 years. And last year he uh, moved into a part-time role. uh, And he's semi-retired and loving it. And it's great. We had a great time together with him. But as Bruce came in, Bruce is a man that has been a very successful businessman. He was successful financially. He was good at his job. He was comfortable, big house, everything he needed, he had. His wife was happy where they were, but there was a tug on on his heart that led him to consider what would it be like for me to enter into a different type of ministry. Please don't misunderstand. Some of the most effective ministers of the gospel do it in the secular workplace. But for Pastor Bruce, it meant leaving all of that secular success behind, following the Lord at a late stage in life, going back, studying, becoming a pastor, and ending up getting pied in the face. Life was messy. They stepped out in faith and said, I'll follow you, Lord. And God is using him mightily at Dover Alliance Church. My sister, some of you know the story and you don't need to know all the details, but my sister is a single mom, not by her own choice. She wasn't unfortunately given really any say in the matter. And she has three kids that are now, uh, one's a teenager, one's about to be a teenager and the other's growing fast. And she's raising them by her own. And she had every right and every reason to be bitter, to be angry and to be just isolated with how things had gone. 
She had to move. She had to uproot everything in her life. She had to just go through financial hardship that many of us couldn't understand. Yet in all of it, she would constantly say to me, Mike, I love you, and I just know that God's got a plan for this. And so when she went through the last couple of years, God provided her a job that provides all of her needs. And then on top of that, the church said, would you lead our children? And she does so not just obligingly, not just because she has to, but I got to see my sister in a way I'd never seen her for a week. I got to see her love investing in the lives of others. I read an interesting quote this week, and I don't remember who said it, but they said they've never seen a marriage that's unhappy when the two people in it are committed to serving one another. The same goes for following the Lord. You will go through struggles of all sorts of kinds, and I'll get to that. But when we are focused on serving God and bringing glory to Him and thus serving others, we're never, we're never lacking in contentment because we know we're in the right place. Life can be mis- messy, And the Apostle Paul knew that all too well. This is a guy that spent multiple times in prison. And as you've heard me list off before, he was beaten, he was stoned. He knew suffering in ways that many of us don't. So what was his secret? How could he tell us in earlier on in in Philippians that we should rejoice in the Lord? When? Always. Okay, you kind of remember that. Good. Go back and read Philippians. It's important. And that in those times of suffering and struggle that we get the chance to bring everything to God in prayer and petition. And the peace of God, which blows our minds. That's the fancy way of saying transcends all understanding. The micros version said it's mind-blowing how God's peace can come at us in the most difficult of circumstances. How could a guy like Paul write that? As he finishes Philippians, he gives us some clues. And these clues have been so critical to the last four weeks for my family. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the story as well as look at the scriptures. You see, in the next verse, Paul starts off by saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul isn't saying that he's not suffering. He isn't saying that things are easy. He's affirming a few things here that are secrets for how we understand life if we're truly focused on the Lord. And one of the first things we learn is Paul walks us through what he's grown and what he's learned. Remember, he just said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's not an egotistical statement. That's a statement that says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and I want everybody to follow that same example. He's not having a big ego there. He's showing us there's nothing better than following Jesus. And if he can do it, any of us can. And so when he gets here, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. We learn that when we experience hard times, one of the most important promises we can rest on is that God has given us the church and that we don't have to do it alone. When you suffer, the people around you are called to mourn, to struggle, to bring, bring joy to you 
in all seasons of life. We are called not to solo faith, not to faith that is us all by ourselves, but to faith that is growing together, spurring one another. That's a nice way of saying kicking each other up forward in the good times and the bad. And right off the bat here, Paul is telling us that. He said he rejoices because they renewed their concern for him. You want to know a secret? A lot of churches forget that pastors are people too. Not you. You guys are one of the most caring churches I have ever seen anywhere in the world. And I love being your pastor. But I grew up as a pastor's kid and I know that that's not always the case. Paul planted how many churches? And only one showed the kind of concern and provision for him that he needed. And it was this church in Philippi. And he says, I rejoice that you showed and renewed your concern for me. I rejoice that I'm not alone as I have struggled. I rejoice that you've given, you've continued on the mission. I think of someone like Lavina, that we get the privilege not of going to see her all the time because where she is, it's hard to get to from what I hear. But we get to partner with her in prayer and in giving and in the partnership of the gospel. And those are mandates we the church have. And Paul was experiencing that same truth through the church in Philippi. He was not alone. So much so that they'd even sent him Epaphroditus to help him out. You want to know how to go through hard times? Don't try to be strong and do it on your own. Let the church, let your community groups, if you're not in a community group, get in one because there will come a time when you won't know where else to go. And those people that you've done life with are the first line of defense after prayer and seeking the Lord. And we need each other. Paul knew that he needed a family to walk with him. And so at the end of his ministry life, what does he do? He thanks them. He says, thanks for being there for me. And I have said that to you numerous times because you continue to show your love for my family, even as we've struggled, as our health hasn't gone the way it was. But when life gets messy, and it will, if it hasn't already, we need brothers and sisters to walk with us. You see, we experience a relationship with Christ, not in isolation, but together. There's a reason we're called to grow together. Because the person sitting next to you has a perspective that you may not have. The person sitting next to you may be able to encourage you while it's still called today, or maybe it's an invitation for you to encourage them while it's still called today. In any and all circumstances, we can rejoice and we can walk together. And that's the first thing we learned. The second thing is that idea of contentedness. I want a lot of things. You've heard me talk about that before. I like my stuff. So do most of us. Stuff can be all sorts of things or it can even not be an actual material possession. It can be this, that, or the other. But we want. We want more money. We want more comfort. We want bigger cars or better, faster vehicles or bigger phones. I don't know that phones can get much bigger, but they seem to be continually growing in size. Uh, You get the idea. We often want. And here is Paul. Again, a man that was trained by the best, by Gamaliel, 
So this guy studied under the C.S. Lewis of his day, the religious scholars of his day. He was trained, he was successful, he didn't lack in zeal. In other words, his enthusiasm for doing and following the law to the T was unrivaled. He was a good man. But God got a hold of his life and changed everything. And the money and the fame and the status that came from being a Pharisee, from being a religious leader to the elite, that all was pushed aside and considered, the word Paul uses, dung, or rubbish is what we often translate it in our Bibles. He said, I consider all of that rubbish for the sake of, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing was better or more important and is for any of us than knowing Jesus. And in so doing, Paul learned a secret that you and I probably wrestle with on a daily basis. Our peace, our comfort, and our purpose are not found in ourselves. They're found in Jesus Christ. If we experience God's presence, we have to learn to be content. Notice that Paul doesn't say that I miraculously got contentedness. That second batch of words underlined there. He learned to be content. It's a discipline. I love studying spiritual disciplines because when we order our lives around growing in Christ, around seeking him in all seasons we begin to feel this rhythm that when things go unexpectedly, we realize we have a redeemer and a creator and a savior and a sanctifier and a coming king and a healer that is right there with us each step of the way. And in this case, Paul is teaching us that if he can learn to be content, so can we. It is a learned skill. It's relying on the Lord saying, Lord, all I have is yours. This came into perspective for me one week ago. I was getting ready on Monday to embark on a journey. I had no idea how much of an adventure it was going to be. I'll tell you about that if you want to know. But I don't like traveling at all anymore or ever. But now it's really worse. I've been to... uh... Anyway, I digress. But our last day there, we were wondering... Uh, knowing that Melissa's father has been sick and his, had begun the chemotherapy or they, they were just starting that and there was only one car available to them when she went back uh, to, to her home with the kids. And so we were worried, Lord, how is all this going to work? You know, they're going to need the car. You've met my kids and if you haven't, they're, two of them are rather energetic, if that's a kind way to say it. Um, And we were worried. I confess, there was worry in our hearts. We didn't know how to pray because we didn't know what God could do. But on Sunday, we went to my family's family's church one more Sunday and the kids had participated in the closing ceremonies of Vacation Bible School. And we got to celebrate what God had done. And then at the end, after our lunch together with the church family, we were putting tables away and we were talking and catching up with some other missionary friends and this and that. And my dad says, Mike, No, actually, he said Michael. So I knew he was serious because he said, Michael, come here. And I'm like, but I'm talking to somebody, Dad. That's rude. And he said, no, come here. I didn't say that's rude. But I I gave him that look. He's my father. I had to show some respect. 
But as he calls me over, he said, I want you, I want you to meet the Beachies. And I knew them already. And they've been just a wonderful couple to get to know over the years when we're able to visit. And the husband looked at me and he said, so we hear your wife's without wheels for the rest of her time in, in where are they? Where am I? Um, in America. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we have an extra car. Why don't you just use ours? And just like that, a prayer, I didn't know that I could pray because when we rented a car, it tripled in price because we have an international driver's license now. We don't have our American. We now have lived in Hong Kong longer than I've lived anywhere in my life, 10 years. And so we celebrated that anniversary last week. But in so doing, we just weren't sure And without asking God this, we said, Lord, we'll trust you. You'll work out the details. And instead of him just making our kids super saints and nice and quiet and reserved while at home with nowhere to go, he provided a car that gave Melissa the freedom to take them where they needed to be, to be a help to the family as my father-in-law suffered and to be who she felt she needed to be for such a time as this. Only God could have put those pieces together. We had said, Lord, we trust you with this situation. And as you see at the end of this passage, God's like, no, I'll supply all your needs. I got you. You don't even know what you need. I do. And he did. And I rejoice in that. The amazing thing was they were getting the family that loaned us the car. They said, don't worry about it. It's for the grandkids anyway. So if you trash it, no problem. Ours have already done it. But everything about it, there was a joy in giving. There was a joy in sharing. There was a joy in serving. So much that it brought me to tears because I said, I didn't even know how to pray this. The Holy Spirit went on my behalf and stirred in the hearts of others how to provide in a time of need. That's what we're called to. We can rest in the Lord knowing that he's got us right where we need to be. And we are called to trust in him. When? Trust in the Lord. Always. Again, I say. So Paul continues as he goes on to verse 12. He said, I know what it is to be in need. And so he's kind of rehashing what he's just said. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He doesn't qualify this with just financial. It's easy to think he's only talking finances here, which the church in Philippi were really one of the key ingredients in him being a church planter. They were the most faithful church that gave and supported his ministry. They continued to do that. But this says, in any and every situation, I have learned the secret of being content. The funny thing is, often we think of secrets as something we're to keep inside. And Paul wants us all to know what this secret is. And so he tells us, I can do everything on my own, right? No. In fact, that is not even remotely what he says. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Not that I can do some things, I can do everything the Lord has called me to, created me for, and prepared me to do through him. But here's the thing, my church family, too often in our messy lives, when things get messy, we squeeze for control ourselves, don't we? We try to bring it back. We try to hold on to situations ourselves. I want to read you something that I read about a week and a half ago 
on the most reliable of all uh, sources, and that's Facebook. And if it's on Facebook, you know it to be true. And some of you may have seen this as well, but I want you to read. This was someone that was wrestling with this idea of, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Just listen, it's a bit lengthy, but I think you'll understand as you follow along. I had one request for my birthday this year to celebrate with my family. I wanted my husband and the kids and my sister and her family and my parents all in the same room. At the end of the day, I lay in bed, God gently reminding me of who he is, how there is always a bigger picture than we see, how he is in control of all, he knows all, how he is sovereign, in other words, he's in control, how he loves me and how much I need to acknowledge this rest in this, find joy in this, and share it with others. I arrived in my hometown to find out my dad has been sick, and we were awaiting biopsy results. Almost to the exact day, it was like a rewind of five years ago. Thursday night, we learned he's had a relapse of his lymphoma, treatment to start the following week. But when I think back to my husband and I's planning, I'm in awe of how God knew all this and planned our schedules so that I could be with my parents during this time. See, we had planned and planned and replanned, which I can only imagine, our schedule about a million times. We weren't supposed to be in that area during that time until just a few weeks before we left. I wasn't supposed to stay behind by myself until just a few weeks before we left. But God... To say I'm sad, disappointed, scared, etc. is an understatement. But this is our reality and I have a choice on how I choose to handle it. I can get angry or I can choose to trust in God and through Him find peace, comfort, and joy. I can choose to remember my birthday in the sadness of cancer or in the joy of my family being under one roof, friends traveling from Canada to spend it with me, or the chocolate cake delivered to my door five years ago when this cancer journey first began. God is good. There's a lot of evil in this world, a lot of sadness and pain, but he is good, and this was never his plan. We may not understand why he allows this, but in my own selfishness, I see that these difficult times are the ones that shape me most, see him at work the most, teach me to depend on him. I'd be less likely to call on him and give praise to him if everything were going my way. So I choose joy. I choose to celebrate his plan, thanking him for working out these details, being grateful for his blessings, and trusting that he will get all of us through this, whatever the outcome. And I will cling to this verse. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I celebrated birth, my birthday attending church where Mike spoke, oops, having wings for lunch, playing kickball and wiffle ball. With, wiffle ball, it's like baseball, but for kids, but grown-ups played. Uh, who traveled five hours to visit and my sister and her family, ending it all with Dairy Queen cake and all my family at the table. Not all days will be this easy to rejoice in, but I will cling to the one who will never leave me nor forsake me. That was my, my wife's birthday wish this year. <laughs> She's learning that lesson. 
that we can do all things through him who gives us strength. See, it was good of her to share in her troubles with her Facebook family, which is our church family. She was connecting and reaching out that way. And so what does Paul do as he continues on saying that we experience God as we trust in him, as we learn to be content by doing things in his strength and surrendering our lives and our plans to him and saying, your way is better than my way. Better is one day in your courts. We just sang it. For I know the plans I have for you. That was written to Israel, but we can claim that God's plans are better for us than our own. And then Paul goes on in verse 14 and said, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And again, this brings us to that communal side of suffering, that communal side of life, that we need one another. The word in the Greek there emphasizes this idea of participation. I read an article in Leadership Magazine this morning. Uh, Thank you. I'll need more. (laughs) Not done yet that talked about the idea of the ministry of presence. That idea of the people that we're sitting right next to, it's way too easy to say we're fine and not get involved in the lives of those around us. But this idea of sharing my troubles was active participation in the ministry with which Paul had been called to. And the church, the family, the people of Philippi were actively involved with him. For us, are we actively involved in the ministry God has invited AIC to? Are we actively involved as we think about budgets? Are we actively involved as we think about service? Are we actively involved as we think about the loss? Paul knew that the church in Philippi was sharing with him. And he thanked them for it. The second thing is that idea of troubles. You've shared in my troubles. And it kind of had a twofold thing because as you look over in Colossians, there's this end times view of everything Paul does. Every time Paul suffers, every word that comes out of his mouth is seeking to bring Christ back by carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so what he's saying is not that you've shared in my suffering of physical pain or of need or of want or of financial or of food-wise or hunger or that, but also you've shared in my need, my compelling call to carry the gospel, to bring him back. One of the verses the CMA lives on is, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed to the end of the earth, and then the end will come. And to that we respond, come Lord Jesus. We are desperate for his return because this world is not heaven. And I can't wait for eternity, especially after spending way too long on a plane. That might just be hell. Again, personal feelings there aside. They shared in his troubles. They participated in the ministry and they walked with him. Even when they weren't able to physically walk with them, they would either send funds, they would send people, they would send help. And you get throughout the letter to Philippians, they were a people of prayer. You go through hard times, walk through it together. You go through good times, seek how you can help others. And that's, that's what he says next. 
he says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment even before. God has provided. He'll tell us again. God has provided all I need. But your gifts, your offerings are fragrant. They smell good to the Lord. They are an acceptable sacrifice. Flip back in your Old Testament to Malachi and think about what the priests led the people of Israel to do, to give their worst. If they were sacrificing a goat, it was blind, crippled, and ugly. That was not the best they could give to the Lord. They gave God, and you've heard me talk about this before, they gave God their leftovers. Paul is saying the exact opposite here. He's saying, you guys, in my time of need and in my time of plenty, you gave a fragrant offering, not to me, but to the Lord. And the underlying message is here. God has used that to carry on the gospel near and far. We get to worship today in part because God used the Apostle Paul to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. Their offerings were fragrant. Sometimes when we think about tithes and offerings, we find it inconvenient or expensive or problematic. One, I've often dared you to try to outgive God. You cannot, as you'll see in the next verse that comes up. But one of the things to remember is that we get the privileges of a church of giving to invest in the lives of those 30 kids that just left this room not too long ago. Think about that. If that's the only ministry we were able to have, we get to shape those little kids' lives. We get to invest in Twinkie and her teams as they seek to love those kids and make disciples of them. Not for tomorrow, but so those kids can go to school tomorrow and say, I love Jesus, how about you? We get to invest in teenagers that are wrought with temptation and struggle and pressure and stress that maybe you and I never experienced as teens. And we get to support Doug and his team in that endeavor. And one of the ways we do that is making sure he has the resources he needs to fulfill that of making disciples, of taking them to China with King and with those teams too. Do whatever it takes to let them see that you don't wait to be the church later. You're the church now. And you can make disciples of your friends today. We get to invest in our community groups. We get to invite people to gather together for the sake of fellowship. To grow together in Christ, bringing glory to God. To give faithfully to the Great Commission so that His Word may be carried out. And then to go ourselves. Some of our community groups have actively been investing in senior citizens' homes or in the home of loving faithfulness. And that thrills my heart because the gospel has taken root and it is being worked out in our lives. And that's what we're called to do. And as we give of these things, they are a fragrant offering to the Lord. I have mentioned that I don't like traveling. Never have, never will. You talk to me about the joy of a road trip and I will laugh at you. I hate them. Always, always did. Never been a good traveler. Might partially be because I can't stand still or sit still. So on Monday of last week, I was supposed to arrive at the airport in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, international. And I was supposed to get on a flight an hour and a half later. I, you know, I'm comfortable with international travel. Didn't need long to travel to Chicago where I would then board a plane that would bring me home to Hong Kong airport and all would be good and the plan would go perfectly. 
except for a bird or something flew into the windshield and broke the windshield of my plane. They said it was a bird. Keith tells me that's not possible. Uh, Something broke our windshield. So after traveling an hour and a half to get to the airport from my folks' home and going through all this emotional goodbyes, they try to route me a bunch of different ways. And eventually I end up with a seven-hour layover in Pittsburgh. So before I even started, I've already spent 10 hours traveling and going nowhere. I really love traveling. And then the layover switched from Chicago to Boston. Now, I am a New York Yankees fan, so the idea of having to go to Boston wasn't great. If you're a sports fan, you'll understand the Yankees and and Boston don't like each other. But God, because there was something in that moment that I hadn't thought about until just then. I asked my mom to get on the phone and call Melissa and say, hey, could you text so-and-so? They just flew into Boston and maybe I could spend some time with them, members of our church family. I had another seven-hour layover, by the way, in Boston. And so Melissa texted them and they wrote right back, yeah, why doesn't Mike come and have dinner with us? And I was able to spend time with them, encouraging the son, are you taking care of your mom? Which is part of my job. And checking in on the mom as is, is, is she remembers the life and walks through some of the things her now deceased husband and her would do together. She's kind of gone back and revisiting. And so I was able to spend this time there. And, and they, they took me out to dinner. I had proper clam chowder from New England. And I had a lobster roll from New England and all that was good. But what was amazing about it was I felt loved by people that went out of their way just to sit and be with me while I was inconvenienced and I was busy complaining about I hate traveling. And instead, others were offering a fragrant offering to the Lord and blessing me. And I got to be part of life with them in Boston for a little bit. And I got to see Mecca. I saw Harvard and MIT, so I can die in peace now. But beyond that, I thought about my life. Am I willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? To offer my life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord? This is my spiritual act of worship. How do I smell? That's what it says right there, if you really think about it. How do we smell? Are our lives a fragrant offering to the Lord? Paul was saying, Philippi, yeah, your gifts your generosity, your offerings are a fragrant offering to the Lord. You want to experience the Lord? You want to experience His presence? Get involved in serving Him. Get involved in radically giving of your tithes and offerings. Not just giving what you think you can afford, but saying, God, I feel you've laid this on my heart and I'm going to do it. I'm going to give to missions. I'm going to give to AGS, to New Sight, to our church planting efforts. I'm going to give to this church that we can go where we don't think we even have the resources to go. To bring on a discipleship pastor that could just help us get out to the ends of the earth, to do whatever it is. In our tough times, do we say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours, and I'll go where you want me to go. And let him use us, even in our struggle. For Paul, that was part of the journey. Saying, everything I have is his. And he says a couple more things, and we finish with these. Everything Paul has written to the church in Philippi in his short letter came down to this. 
And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, please don't misunderstand the context or the meaning of this verse. Your needs are not a bigger house or a fancy car or everything you've ever wanted in life. Your need is to bring glory to God in all situations. Your need is to make disciples of all nations. Your need is to sacrificially follow God wherever he leads. Your need is to say, my life is not my own. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sound familiar? And he will provide everything you need on that journey. Now, again, I try to be authentic and honest. He doesn't promise it'll always be easy, right? But he does promise that there is no better way than trusting him with every situation and every circumstance in our life. And as we walk through that, we understand that when we experience trouble of any kind, God is there. He's got us. You know, in Romans, we're told that we can approach God as Abba, as Daddy. Hebrews teaches us that we can have confidence in approaching him because Jesus sympathizes and understands what we're going through and he's right there with us. And Paul tells us, God will take care of you. Don't worry. Jesus teaches us, why bother worrying? Does it do any good? No, I've got you. Come, come to me and I'll get you through whatever this might be. Because it's about him to our God and Father be glory for how long? For every. For every ounce of our life is to be spent bringing honor and glory to him. If that is how we live our lives, we will never live a life of regret. That I promise you. If you turn your life over and say, Lord, it's all yours. It may not be easy, but you will never regret the decisions you've made. That pastor I told you about at the beginning has no sign of regret in his life that he gave up the lucrative life to follow the Lord in pastoral ministry. I know others that have done the same thing and they've often said, I would only regret if I hadn't obeyed the Lord. You want to live without regrets? You want to get experience the presence of God? Say as Jesus did, Lord, all I have is yours. So what about you? If you're having a difficult time, are you seeking him? Are you allowing your church family to walk with you through that journey? Are you suffering? Well, have you learned to cast all your cares upon him? Are you learning to find rest in him? And again, are you learning to allow others to walk with you along that? Now, I understand I can struggle with that myself. So it is hard to invite people into our lives, but yet Paul teaches us that we experience God in community. We experience God through dependence on him. And then, are you in plenty? Remember, Paul tells us, I've learned what it's like to be content with much too. Well, in that comfort that God has put you in for this season of life, can that be used to serve the ministry of the church? Can that be used to serve and bless others and make disciples of all nations? If it's finances, if it's your time, if it's your abilities, if it's your gifts, if it's your vocation, whatever it may be, would that be sufficient? 
You see, we know that God will meet all our needs. The end of the story of our family vacation came last night at midnight when my father-in-law passed away. And there is no worse feeling I've ever felt as a husband than having my wife go through this alone on the other side of the world. Now, she's got her family there. In fact, she just sent a picture of uh, her sister and my brother-in-law celebrating his life together because he knew Jesus, and we rejoice in that. But it has been hard to sit here and not be able to sleep because you don't know when he's going to pass and to not be able to do anything. I'm a fixer. That's what I do. I, I complained to my mom about that. But the thing is, God had every ounce of this in his plan. Why I had to come across the world to go back later this week, I don't know. I don't have that answer. But I know for this we have Jesus. Charles Price says that, and it's always been one of my favorite quotes. But what I do know is a couple things. My father-in-law, Paul, he's healed. He is not suffering anymore. My wife and my children got to say goodbye to him before he died. If you start thinking about odds and how it works, that we only go home once every two years, and that this came at exactly that time that my family got to say goodbye, that's a blessing, not a curse. The provision, obviously, another trip means more money that we didn't expect to spend, but we've already seen how God has promised he will provide and he will meet our needs, both physical, emotional, financial, every way. We trust in him. But amazingly, God also met the need of knowing that Melissa and the kids could be behind and that my family was only two and a half hours away so they could get the kids so that Melissa could grieve and be at her dad's bedside. All of these pieces aren't accidental. They are put together by a God who is in control and who says, I've got you. Let me have your life so that it may be bringing glory and honor to me, not yourself. And so as we walk this journey, I can't say that it's easy. Many of you have lost parents and loved ones. And I don't think that gets easier. But I know this. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, my God shall supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches. And he promises to give a peace that transcends all understanding as we bring all of our prayers and petitions before him. This is all the truths, just a few of the truths you find in the book of Philippians. You see, this summer, God invited my family to believe what I'd been preaching for the last few months. And he gave us the chance to work out our salvation by loving and suffering and struggling together. But in the end, to God be the glory. My father-in-law is home with the Lord, healed. I'll be with my family again at some point soon. And we will celebrate a life. And we will look forward to Jesus returning and us going with him. But for now, we also mourn. And I've been blessed to have the elders and the church leadership here to mourn with me, even as I text them at midnight and 3 a.m. And some of you stay up too late, gentlemen. So I close with this. Is he Lord or not? If he's Lord of your life, he's Lord of everything. 
and he is worthy to be trusted. And we experience God by trusting in him and saying, I'll go where you lead me for your name's sake, for your glory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you're in control and you've got a plan. I don't lie and say that I like it right now because it hurts. But I proudly proclaim that you will be glorified in these circumstances. And your greatest riches are upon us for such a time as this. I pray for AIC that we would be a family that supports and spurs one another on through good times and bad. I pray that we would be radical in our obedience, in our giving, in our contentedness, in our prayer lives, in our relationships. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that we would, in all things, be able to sing what we're about to sing. To God be the glory. Amen.